Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a meal delivery plan that is 100% heart-healthy, plant-based, made without gluten, oils, or refined sugar. All customers receive eight meals and two sides for only $100 plus $9.99 shipping. They offer an exciting new menu each week that are shipped out on Mondays. Based in New Jersey, Try Vegan delivers north to Vermont, south to Maryland, west to Pennsylvania, includes all major cities such as New York and Philly. There's no contract or commitment, and you all, my audience, can save 25% off your first order. Promo code, capital L, capital Y, capital T, capital Y, yoga. That's lit yoga. Website is tryveganmealprep.com. Vince is a friend of mine. He is an amazing human being, and I have this myself. This saves me time and energy, and I get these delicious, delicious homemade meals delivered right to my doorstep. So try vegan yourself. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a Lit Yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns. So together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Friday with friends, and I am so fortunate to have one of my oldest and dearest friends, Miss Heather Havaleski. I've known Heather for, I don't even know how long, but let's just say decades. Heather is one of these people that is just a, a unique star in the world. She has, from the very beginning, been one of the funniest people I've ever met. She's clever. She's beautiful. She's just wickedly, wickedly funny. And she's a writer. We'll say much more about her, but welcome, Heather. Hello, Laura. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Laura. Heather, I feel certain to disappoint now. (laughs) (laughs) Never, Heather, never. You'll never disappoint. You're seriously, you are. I, I just remember Heather and I met in ninth grade and uh, we were, I had just come to uh, this this school. This was a public school. I had been in private school and I went to the public school and it was much larger than my private school. I didn't know many people. Um, I had one of my best friends from childhood who was there, who Heather had also become friends with. And then we all were on the cheerleading squad together. And that really united us. And we did that for the next number of years. And we were simultaneously ex- very excited to be cheering and um, what it offered us, which was mainly just a lot of girl time and, you know, giggling and making showing up off. dances. Yeah. Showing off wearing short skirts, but also 
like very humiliating because we actually didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know who, like who, we, what sport we were cheering for. I mean, okay, now I think you better speak for yourself there. You guys, <laughs> sadly, we didn't I understand football. A, <laughs> I I watched football at the time, and yeah. I was on a yeah, I was on a cheerleading squad with with a bunch of uh, very very entertaining uh, women girls at the time who uh, did not know whether we were offense or defense at any given time that we were supposedly watching the game. Right. Um, you know, what's interesting, Heather, is I just am um, in the process of reading this book by Glennon Doyle. I don't know if you've read it. It's called Untamed. And she speaks of the golden kids, you know, and these were the kids that were like the cheerleaders or like the, uh, that just seemed to walk through the high school years with a sense of confidence and ease. And what I love about you, Heather, is that you would always, you were like the commentator. You you were both simultaneously probably could have been seen as a golden kid that you you did have your shit together. You were smart. Um, you did some sports, you know, you did cheerleading and, but you also were just like kind of just hilariously um, critical, I guess, of, of the people who did take themselves too seriously. And you did that at such a young age, but it has, I think, stayed with you in a, in such a great way. <laughs> and I mean this in the best way possible. You've, you've never lost that sense of like that acerbic wit that's, that is also finely tuned to making fun of pop culture. And I think that it is, do you feel like those early years really has ha- helped your transition into writing about all the things that you write about <laughs> observing well, humans. I just think that I've always had like a um, an outsider's kind of mentality. I think that some people just sort of come up in the world and feel um, like everything. It's almost like I don't know, almost like you're hallucinating all the time. Like you can't you can't quite understand what's happening around you. It doesn't make any sense. Like the things that I mean, I just I have like memories from a, a pretty young age, just feeling like um, my memoir is, is called Disaster Preparedness, my first book. And um, it's sort of all about um, feeling like the world was much more fragile than people sort of would let on and that adults in the world had less of a handle on how to, ha- on how to deal with unforeseen circumstances than, than you maybe you'd want them to. I mean, I just remember feeling as a young kid, like, I, I would ask my mom, like, what'll happen if a meteor falls on our house? You know, like, well, what will we do? You know, like, what if there's an earthquake? There could be an earthquake here. What would happen? And my mom was just like, oh, I don't know. I guess we'd just die. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which I think that the part of my problem growing up was that my parents were not into reassuring mm. us at all. They were sort of like, you know, what will make you the most tough and the most prepared is, um, Brutal honesty. Yeah. 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 Like, you know, and, but, but growing up in the South in, in North Carolina, I was surrounded by people who, um, had much more kind of reassuring traditional families that would say things like, don't talk about that tough stuff, honey. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But also like, don't, don't worry, baby. We, (laughs) you know, we'll get through it as a family or, you know, just like had platitudes at the ready. And my family was like, I don't know, I guess we'd be dead, you know? (laughs) It would probably be really painful and then we'd we'd be gone. Um, So I think that I just had, um, I was a little bit, you know, I was like a natural misfit. On the other hand, 
I was friends with you, right? And you, <laughs> you were kind of like a really bubbly, like everyone loved you and, and, and for good reason, you know, like you, you were smart and amazing and energetic just as you are now. And um, I mean, I, I kind of thank, thank God that I actually figured out how to charm people because I was very, I was a dark child, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like I just had a million and one um, amazing, you know, tools at my disposal. And I think that I, honestly, it's almost like I'm, I've been undergoing this process since that time of just like kind of under, coming to understand like what the purpose of reassurance is and what the purpose of, of, of staying positive is. I mean, I think that I didn't really get, I was very cynical and I was very against like these sort of things that people cling to in a tough time. And it's interesting to kind of come around it. I mean, I don't think that either one of us would have predicted that. I, I could have predicted, I feel like that you would end up in an inspired leadership role in the world. Um, but I don't think that I would have predicted that I would end up there. Um, and sometimes I feel, you know, I don't know if you feel this way under the current circumstances, but sometimes I feel kind of outmatched by my role, you know? I mean, I, I write an advice column for New York Magazine and called Ask Polly. And uh, and I love doing it. And I've always written. I mean, I love writing. And I'm very good at giving advice about, you know, bad marriages, bad boyfriends, bad friends, you know, how to make your friend, how to feel better about yourself, how to fight your shame and and sort of like uh, navigate the world with vulnerability when you're naturally kind of a sharp and pointy, aggressive <laughs> person like me. Um, but uh, by the same token, I think this particular crisis with this insane global pandemic situation and the social distancing and isolation that we're all in, I feel outmatched by it. I'm just wondering how you have, I mean, I, I, I first of all, I kind of wonder, I'm sorry, I'm firing questions back at you, but I wonder sure. if you have a lot of clients who are reaching out to you for um, comfort right now. Yes, a little bit. And you know, it's interesting is I have an online platform and I get a lot of questions through there. And then I am in the process of running a 10-week online yoga teacher training, which is, there's 180 people from around the world in it. And so it, the pandemic really landed right in the middle of it. And Mm -hmm. that's where I've really noticed it the most. We have Zoom calls every week. Um, We have five hours of Zoom calls split into two different time periods. And it's actually been, people have said, I don't know how I would get through this without this. It's been, um, you know, it was a wonderful group anyway. And, and this united kind of passion for movement and yoga and raising consciousness and just hoping for a better lifestyle and better world. But then this happened and it has taken on a completely different, it's like a shelter for people in a way to come to and be, and, and express all this stuff. Like, holy crap, I, I, what and they'll ask me like I am not, I feel like I can't get anything done I I I'm so inspired by this course and yet I'm just I'm just flat I don't feel like I can get any and I'll say hey listen that's called grief that's called like anxiety and and that's mm-hmm. you know all I I think what I try and do is not give them a pep talk there's no sense in doing that it's just acknowledging like hey you know what you don't have to get off the couch today. You don't have to go and practice for an hour. You can cry. And I actually recommend going and screaming your head off, like unloading some of that stuff, like really, really clearing it because um, it's heavy. It's really, really heavy. And none of us have the answer for how we're going to 
n- not solve it, but we, we just have to kind of muck through it. You know, we just have right. to uh, get through it and not not put on some kind of cheery face like, well, this is all going to work out and we'll be back. We, we have no idea, you know? Yeah. And of course we hope that things will, I mean, we are in a different time period than during the Spanish flu. We have a lot of advantages, but we also have a lot of things that, um, that are operating at a much faster pace against us as well. So I yeah. think more than anything, I'm just, I'm, I, I think my role is just reassuring that it's okay to feel all those things. And in fact, you should feel them because to just, um, you know, soldier on, not as if no one is suffering, people don't have like real dire changes in their health and economic status. It, it would be, it would be such an injustice to do that. So I, I just, mainly I'm just giving giving them permission to to feel all of it and feel sad and feel down. And, you know, what I say is, hey, you don't like we're you don't any of the assignments or whatever we're doing. They don't need to like that. This is that if they if it brings you joy a little bit, sparks some enthusiasm. Awesome. But let it go for a while if you need to. And so I think I, it's yeah, I've you know, I've been I, I appreciate that because I've been right. I think that I've been too tough on myself. Everybody, I mean, I, I think everybody has. Because all of a sudden you're yeah, like, oh, I, I should be able to be productive. I should be able to write some, you know, something inspiring, right? And it's, mm-hmm. yeah, what yeah. are you finding that people are reaching out to you for? Well, I mean, I, I think that I've, I think that what happened is I've, I've been, um, I've been just saying, it's fine. I'm exercising every day. I exercise like, I'm exercising like crazy. I mean, I have a treadmill desk, so I end up walking six miles a day and then I stop and I either do yoga or I do um, these kind of leg things. Some of the stuff that you do Mm -hmm. online Mm -hmm. and on Instagram are sort of similar. I do a thing every day that's sort of like warrior, but with it's like a um, one-legged squat, Mm -hmm. but in warrior pose. And I love doing it. I mean, it's it, things that are sort of like ba- balance and strength and stability together, you know, with a little, some core mixed in are my favorite things right now. Um, and I do some push-ups sometimes. I mean, but, but basically I do P90X3, you know, one of the, I've just been doing the same P90X3 workouts for like, I don't know, five years. So Bill and I will do that together. But But I think it's funny because I've just been saying, well, we'll just, you know, we just need to work out more, you know, like I could feel the sadness coming, creeping towards me. And I was just like, oh, if we work out more, that's what works. Like we just get happier and happier, <laughs> you know, as long as we work out every day, along with my walking. And it's crazy because now I'm like, I have like a swimsuit model body for the first time <laughs> in my life because I've been working out so damn much. But I'm, but by, I'm, I'm, get, I realized this morning, all of a sudden I was like, Oh my God, I'm so sad, you know? Yeah. And I could tell because I was mad at everything. Everything that was coming towards me, I was pushing away. I, you know, it's like when, and, and, you know, it's sort of like what you said about when I was a kid. I feel like my safe place is like rejecting everything in the world, you know, like I don't like this and I don't like <laughs> this and I don't like this. And I, and I finally got to this place this morning where I just said, my God, I just started crying. And I just realized, like, I don't want, I can't write my book right now. I mean, I'm going to work on it a little at a time. I'm going to be, you know, forgiving to myself. But I have to let the sadness in and I actually have to sit with it. And and that doesn't mean like 
reading 15 articles about the science behind COVID-19. You know, it means like sitting, making some room for um, despair and also making some room for not knowing what comes next. I think I've told my, I've, there's another, you know, it's like you have these fetishes that are just your things, like, you know, cutting the world out, like the whole world is bad and I'm good is one of my bad things. And another thing is just like, um, I know better than anyone how this is going to go next, you know, like predicting what happens next. And I did that with this. I was on top of it. I was like creating a quarantine box in mid-February. You know, everyone I knew thought I was insane. And it felt kind of good at first to be like, oh, I'm, I'm ahead of the curve. I, I'm on top of this. I knew this was going to happen. So I'm prepared and I'm great. And now it's like, oh, you know, it doesn't matter how many cans of beans you have <laughs> in your closet. You still, you're still devastated. You can't prepare to feel anything. You know, you can't just like, oh, I knew I'd feel sad. So I'm fine. You know, like I, I was prepared for that. I think that there are just a lot of control freak kind of, um, mechanisms that have been in play in my life for the past month. And now I'm just like, I'm at the point of surrender, you know, where I actually have to say, it's sort of like that feeling that you have after someone dies, where you just say, there's no way to fix this. I just have to, I don't even know what I'm going to get every morning, you know? And I can't, I think it's, I think it's hard to realize that you are afraid of that feeling, you know, like as an adult, as an older adult, especially like to just realize like, I'm really afraid of getting depressed about this, you know, because I've been depressed in my life and I want to be the person who's, you know, in control and on top of it and knows how to take the next turn and handle it. And I'll just do more of this. I'll cook more. I'll grow things. I'll, you know, I, I can, I have the answer to everything. And I think actually I'm just at this place of surrender where I have to say, I don't have the answer to how to handle this at all, you know? And I have to say, I don't know better than anyone and I, do, and I feel like I have nothing to offer. I feel like I actually have to say that, you know, in my column yeah. and on my and newsletter. That, I actually just have to say, I'm yeah. empty-handed. I'm just here, you know? I'm exactly like everybody else. I'm just upset, you know? I'm just sad. Yeah. I think actually just saying that is incredibly comforting because that's like this universal experience where then all of a sudden somebody's like, okay, I'm feeling that too. Like we're all feeling, I think we're all processing at a different pace at a different time. You know, some people that first week or two, they're like, well, this isn't too bad and da, da, da. And then it's like, boom, like hit the wall. The reality of why they were um, staying safe at home came upon them. It wasn't like it was a big party or anything. It was like, oh my gosh, this this is a a real... uh, not silent, but basically invisible danger that we just yet don't know how, yeah, we don't, that's the, it's the unknowing, the uncertainty that it just claws at any human part of us that needs mm-hmm. kind of like our regularity and our path of certainty. And like, if I do this, this will happen. And you can't ensure anything right now. You can't really yeah. ensure your safety. You can take all of the precautions but I think at, at, at just at its core level, that's that's really debilitating and humbling. And we have to just, like you said, you have to just absolutely feel it and 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 feel feel it fully. Because if you don't, you're just gonna keep on like being busy, busy, busy and being angry, you know, because anger is just 
a much stronger emotion than vulnerability and sadness. Like, so we tend, I think everybody tends to get, you know, we're also in closer quarters and there's a lot more reasons to be angry, but I think it's, it's really, um, to, to ride on anger is an, is an easier choice versus to sit there in sadness. I've been afraid of anger in part, you know, because I don't want to go down the path of, you know, this was preventable. You know, it's, it's sort of like, when you when you've watched it for a long time and you've said we better be you know like I I mean I even felt like okay the U S is going to be really good about this like we're going to be on top of it we have the best of everything you know just like typical head in the sand American and yeah. it's just it's 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 strange because I think that I I don't know I think that I think that it's really um, I have a thing where I'm kind of like, oh, I'm the expert. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's stupid because on the one hand, I think I, I say all the time, I don't have any particular expertise. I just give advice and I'm a writer and I'm good at writing down emotional content. You know, I, I'm good at capturing the struggle of being a human being. That's what I'm good at. I'm not necess- I don't necessarily have answers. People sometimes ask me in interviews, what, what qualifies you to give people advice? And I'm like, oh, I've just messed everything up a million times over. And so I, you know, I know how that feels. And um, I've, I've screwed up a lot. That's it. But I think that in this particular situation, I think I've kind of felt like you're an expert. You're the expert. You're going to be the one who tells people how to handle this. And it kind of broke down where I said, no, that's not, it's never been really what I, I sometimes get confused by what I'm bringing to the table, you know? And I kind of think like, oh, I'm, I'm supposed to ride in and tell people how to get through this. And it's like, no, that's not, I've never even been that person, number one. And number two, I think that I'm in this space where I have to figure out how to open my heart and learn from other people. Like I can't, I feel like that's the energy I need at this point in my life in general. And I haven't, I'm just, it's kind of goes against my personality, you know? Like I like to invent things. I don't like to, I'm not really a collector. I'm much more of like build it from the ground up and until you're, you know, until you find something beautiful or dark or interesting. And so I think, I think this whole situation has put me in a new space where I'm sort of like, I'm, I'm just, it's like I'm being, I'm really being forcibly humbled, you know? And I, and I think that there's probably, you know, a lot for me in that. And maybe there are a lot of people who feel that way where it's just like, we're stripping, you know, conditions are such that you're going to be stripped of everything that you usually depend on. And you're going to have to find a way um, to decide what will sustain you and what you care about and what matters to you, right? And so I guess... There are opportunities in that. Have you found that you, any of that has really come to light in your own life? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I I have, um, you know, I have three kids and they're all here. Um, Zeke is 23 and he's not usually in the house with us all the time. So that's been amazing. He has a full-time job, incredibly enough. My husband and I both will... My husband's a professor, but he works part-time from home and I work from home. So we're used to being around each other a lot, but um, the kids are home, obviously. I think that there are things about just being together all the time 
I don't know. It's been, it's sort of been more peaceful and happy than I expected. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do think that there's something, I think that I'm too, a little bit too productive. Like, I think that I've learned to kind of let myself off the hook and say, I I don't need to, um, I don't know. I don't need to produce all day. So before all this, what, what would a typical day have been like for you in terms of that being productive? Like, do you get up and write right away or do you go do a yeah. little mom activity and then? About uh, three days a week, I get the kids up usually and would get them out the door to school. Now, but sometimes I'd get up earlier than that and write a little bit. My, my wake up times range from like four in the morning to seven in oh the morning. Oh my gosh, four, like willingly? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't, I don't set an alarm. Mm-hmm. And so, and for the past year, I've been waking up at like four or five. Like, oh my gosh, without like, an alarm. You're like Mark. Yeah. He's, really, he, does he do that? Oh yeah. Without an alarm, sleeper. without coffee, he gets up and then he'll go and exercise for like an hour, an hour and a half Whoa. or read or whatever. Yeah. It's crazy. And, and that's my brother. My brother, John gets up, reads every day for two oh. hours. We're talking like astrophysics reads, like heavy nice stuff. Yeah. And then you well, I get out. up and I write, I, you know, I, I write, I walk on my treadmill desk and mm-hmm. I write for three or four hours every day. So, I mean, I'm kind of productive. That's I amazing. write a lot of different things. I'm yeah. productive no matter what I do, because that's what I do first thing in the morning. Right. And so do you have an idea like what you're going to write about? Is it based on like no. what's due or what like column? Do you ever you talk about your regular writing stuff? Well, um, I have a column that I write every week. And now half of the time, uh, you know, California freelance laws changed, changed. And so I used to write for New York Magazine every week. And now I'm writing every other week because you can't, you have, you can only do 34 assignments a year. It's just very arbitrary. I think they're going to change the law back, luckily. But um, so half of the time I write for my newsletter on Substack, the Ask Polly newsletter. And then, and then half, you know, uh, half of the weeks, and then the other half of the weeks, I write for uh, New York magazines, The Cut. Um, so that's like a weekly deadline. Um, and then I write a newsletter called Ask Molly, and Molly is supposed to be Polly's evil twin. And so she, Molly, writes um, very dark. It's sort of weird. It's it's kind of a. At first, Molly was a little bit more like Polly, and now she's become darker and darker as time has gone by. <laughs> and she writes like poetic, strange um, things. I'm. Ha- it's sort of my favorite thing to write, honestly. Now is Molly, um, Molly, and it kind of fits the apocalyptic apocalyptic mood really well. Right. So there are days when I just write Molly. Um, first thing, I wake up and I almost have like a strange sad poem in my head or an angry kind of sound in my head. And I just start writing. Um, I have also just started a novel. Um, strangely enough, also apocalyptic. Um, Fiction. And it's, yeah. And it's, it's sort of um, funny and dark. And that one, that's like, I'm kind of, uh, whatever. I, that's my favorite project, but I can't quite go into that one because I have a book. I'm finishing a book right now about my marriage and it's sort of about the just meeting my husband and having kids and sort of um what happens to your relationship over the course of 15 years together mm, 
Um, so give so, us a little tidbit of that. Like how how is it to write about your marriage in a really honest way? I mean, you're very honest and upfront. Yeah, and I, honest. And Bill, know, <laughs> Bill, Bill knows that. So it's not like he's going to, going to have any shocking thing, but, but what did you find? Was there any protectiveness at all? Like you're, that you were inclined, like, well, I don't know if I should say that. Uh, or do, were you just like, I'm going to talk about it all, the good, the bad, the ugly. Well, I started out, that's a very good question. (laughs) I started out, uh, thinking I'd talk about everything Mm -hmm. and definitely I like to talk about the truth of how, you know, great it feels to be in a good marriage and also to feel like every, any marriage is a bad marriage at times. You know, I mean, there's just, I think that um, after being married for a long time, I mean, there are just things that you're just like, oh my God, that I have a whole chapter that is just about anger. And it's mostly about the noises that my husband makes. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, he, his sneezes, just for example, you can hear across the house and it's like someone is yelling suddenly across the house. So just loosely, it sounds like this. Like, I mean, literally, you can't be in the house with him and not, and not just say to yourself, Jesus Christ, like what? Because you, you, it gives you a heart attack every time you hear it. So anyway, I, I, the book is... <laughs> It's the, I mean, the, the main crime of the book, the main trouble of the book at this point is that um, it's hard not to be a, you know, kind of a jerk when you're writing about your marriage because if you're going to be honest, right? Right. Um, there are things you don't, I don't really want to read a really sentimental book about marriage. Like I would never read that book. So I, ha- so I kind of like, it's harder for me to write about the positive things sometimes than it is to write about the negative things. But then you have, all these chapters in a row that are like, this pissed me off. And he and bugs that, me you know? now. Yeah. And in fact, the, the, the book begins, I would say that my biggest doubts were going down at the very beginning of our marriage, which I think is true for a lot of marriages too. There's sort of like the slow burn of, I'm tired of your sounds and you get on my nerves. But, and yet we just are so um, synergistic and so... Yeah. in line with each other that we just, it's impossible to imagine a life without you because we just, you know, complement each other so perfectly after years together. But at the beginning, I mean, you know, the doubts that you have, I mean, I, have, I was really a commitment phobe. I didn't even know that I was a commitment phobic um, at all. I thought I was completely into commitment. But so the first few chapters of the book are just about saying, my God, do I, re- why do I want to marry a man at all? I thought, I thought all my life that I wanted to get married. And now I'm just like, what am I doing? So it's it's kind of there are times when I read it. I'm towards the end. I'm I have about um, maybe ten thousand words to go. So it's good. I'm nearing the finish line. But in terms of okay, so in terms of honesty, though, um, I don't know. I think going into the book, I thought I was just going to be about a happy marriage, and and then as the, for the past year, you know, you're in this process of writing about your marriage. It makes you question everything. I mean, oh, I think it's totally. hard for me, right? It's hard, to, it's hard to kind of look at the subject of marriage and not um, just even intellectually say to yourself, my God, I could have a completely different life that didn't involve this at all. Wouldn't that be exciting? You know, I started, I sort of started to try that on. I also have this chapter that's just like towards the end of the book. that's like, um, God, cheating. Why, you know, 
I suddenly understand why people cheat on their spouses. Like it's the lying. That's what that's the good part about it. You know, yeah. you sneak off and do something that the other person doesn't know about. It sounds like it sounds like paradise. Right. Um, there are all these things that you don't, you know, it's kind of like this dark perspective on marriage. You don't have it until 10 years into marriage. And then all of a sudden you understand. So even at the outset of this project, I was sort of like, you know, it'll just be a, a wonderful sharing book about what a great marriage I have. And now I'm like, I don't know what this book is. It's pretty dark. I like it's gotten pretty weird. But I do think it's, I mean, for people who are actually married and people who want to know what it's like to be married, um, it's a pretty realistic look at it. I just, it's a funny book mostly. Honestly. Oh, I think that's it's, great. And yeah. I think that's so refreshing. I mean, I'm sure there's tons of marriage books out there, but I think that I would prefer reading something like that. Like I remember early on in my marriage, I have had, you know, yoga people in my life for a long time, private clients who were eight to 10 years older. And so they would tell me these little snippets of things and I would kind of like put it in my the back of my brain, like remember this. And one of them was like, the hardest part of marriage is the early years and the teenage years. And then it gets oh. a lot better. Then it gets a lot better. And I was like, uh-huh. "Oh, that's interesting." Because I was at this kind of like past the early years. My kids were young, and then you know, getting to the teen. Then what you real because it's it's so marriage in a, in essence is so kind of impossibly fraught to take two people with totally different backgrounds, even if you have similar values. But and especially when you're raising children, because you're gonna perceive things differently. It just, Mm -hmm. because you're two different people. And so then you have to make these decisions as a team (laughs) that you're not, we don't always agree on. And I think that's, that was so, I I just having that as a preamble really, really helped me like, oh yes, remember this was what they said. So this is a hard time. This is a hard time, right? This is hard. And then it gets better again. Right. Yeah. Um, I always thought people who had been married for a long time must have bad marriages across the board because they all talked like, oh, I'm so tired of hearing it. <laughs> oh, I'm sick of having you around. And I was always like, oh, I guess you just have a crappy marriage. Right. Um, but now I kind of understand like you don't. And, and there are these predictable phases. You know, when you have little kids together, there's sort of like a lot of stress about how, who's going to do what. You're exhausted. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. just tired all the time. But you also are kind of on the same team. And I think that when you're dealing with kids that are becoming adults, right? Your mm-hmm. philosophy about what a person should be comes into it. Yeah. And two people just have very... Di- like Bill is very... Um, more more of kind of a disciplinarian than I am. Like he's much more like, that, it can't be that way. That's not acceptable, you know? And That's I'm like, anything... Is. I'm like, I'm so much more laid back. He's like, I yeah, don't always want to be a bad cop. And I'm like, why do we have to have cops at all? Right. Hey, what? what, what are, are, are crimes going to happen? Right. If like, we don't like, have let's cops? see what happens. They're going to be, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But and the, it's hard to have that, you know, because you both feel really strongly about what you yes. want. Like, oh, yeah. And then you get behind of, your feelings about being strongly. And that's where it's like, yeah, you're all digging yeah. down even more. The other big piece of advice that was great my cousin from California, who I have a bunch of cousins who are in Santa Barbara. And this was her second marriage. She ended up being married three times, which I think in California might not, <laughs> I don't know, might not be as uncommon. Rare. It seemed like a lot of my, 
people out there that I that I'm I could friendly use a with. few more marriages. Are you kidding? Yeah, like, yeah. I'm it's only like, on my first one. I think one. you just kind of like you. Yeah, it's probably it's just more acceptable. You don't like stay in a bad marriage just because it's. So anyway, her second marriage, she was telling me about it, and she's like, you know, I came home and I opened the refrigerator and I looked in, and I and he had bought a yogurt and it was not the brand that I like, and I just thought that's it. And then she looked at me and she's like, but Laura, it's never about the yogurt. And I was like, what a great <laughs> freaking line. Like, it's it's never about the yogurt, but it's like one thing just becomes the, the pinnacle of everything. Like, he doesn't yeah. pay attention to yeah. my basic kind of, oh God. he doesn't know enough about me, right? And it's like, I just love that. I was like, if I wrote a lip book, it would be like, it's never about the yogurt. It's like... <laughs> So when we're fighting, sometimes I'll say that to myself and I'll like, what is this really about? Like, what is it really about? I'm flying off the handle about something that is like the yogurt, right? But what's really bugging me? And it's, Mm -hmm. that's brought forth a lot of those good, hard, but honest conversations. Um, Well, I look forward to, I look forward to your marriage manual. We've been married. Oh about, God, it's yeah. not. Don't worry, it's not a manual. It's <laughs> well, just a sad, <laughs> ridiculous story. It is definitely if it, it is anything but prescriptive. Trust yeah. me, I would never. Well, no, I like that, and I love again. I love how I know I love being inspired, but I love honesty. I just love honesty over anything. Um, like so that it's not, and that's where you know all social media. I think even now, I feel like, especially with this pandemic in a way, some of all this curated stuff is just, we're looking at it now in in a different lens and be like, you know what? That's just not inspiring. That's just fluff. I'd much rather see, you know, the doctor who's coming on and being like, stay the fuck home, people. Let's do this, you know, versus the person who's like, oh, I get to stay home and bake some cookies, you know, like, it's yeah. nice to kind of gloss over. We do. We don't need to be heavy all the time, but I do think that um, the curated life is not. It it often makes people feel bad about themselves versus not always feeling, you know, inspiring. I think that's true, and I think that that trend is going to shift <laughs> kind of dramatically. Right? It's it's almost like you can feel it mm-hmm. that there's just a shift, even even like. I turned on the TV the other day and it was like, um, we're in this together. You know, it was like one of those commercials where, you know, we're all staying at home now, you know, and you just have this feeling like, my God, it's a global pandemic. You know, can we just, can we just be sad about it? Do we have to have it? This has to be like the more, you know, ding, ding, ding. You know, like I just, I think that the, I mean, I I felt this way after 9-11. I think a lot of people did, but I feel like the culture has to change. Um, to accommodate, you know, more more honesty. Yeah, um, I agree. And, and better connections between people, right? I mean, that's the problem with dishonesty. It's that you feel like, you know, a lot of people feel disenfranchised and cut off from, you know, their so-called best life because it's just, they don't, you know, because they're being, they're being sold something, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, And I think that, you know, it's just like you say, it's like you, you just you just want opportunities to meet people on neutral ground and just connect with them and be who you are. You know, you don't want to you don't want to be a spectator to someone else's fabulous life. You actually just want to show up and be a human being with other human beings. Oh, my gosh. Well, 
I want to end with that beautiful note, even though we could talk forever, but I actually <laughs> want to read one of my, one. I mean, you know, your columns are, you really are one of the best writers I've ever come across. And it's, it just shows up that you are, this is, this is your passion and your purpose is to put emotion into word and, and language and, and such a, a beautiful, fiercely funny and inspiring way. So I actually make up flows. I have make up a lot of flows. That's my creativity. And I make up one that is called, well, I'm just not going to say it yet because it was inspired by this. So this is part of an interview and it says, this is talking about you, Heather, you end one of your columns, a column, which also winds up in the book writing, life is not about knowing life is about feeling your way in the dark. So let there be darkness get down on your knees and crawl through the dark. Crawl and say to yourself, holy God, it's dark, but just look at me crawl. I can crawl like a motherfucker. And I just, every time I read that, I get chills. Sometimes I even cry. (laughs) And I just love that. Like, it's just, it's everything we talked about. It's let yourself be humbled, be on your knees, be feeling the darkness, the heaviness, the uncertainty, the fear. But start with something and I know we're going to cry together and just crawl (laughs) and then like then just and be your own your own ambassador for badassness like look at me crawl motherfucker like I can do this and so I hope that you're as inspired by Heather as I am her words are they're just so unique to my dear friend here and we'll have to have you back because I'm sure a lot of people will love to hear your words more but thanks for offering your just heart today and where it's at. And because that's moving and that's movement, you know, it's that being able to move through the stuff that is hard to feel, but is necessary to be able to move forward in whatever way and, and, and without knowing where we're crawling. So thank yeah. you for joining. Where can people find you, Heather? All the, all the places. Well, th- thanks, first of all, for that. I really appreciate it. I, I feel I'm so on my knees crawling right now and so in the dark. Um, it was nice to be reminded of that. Um, I I am on uh, New York Magazine every Wednesday, every other Wednesday uh, in the Ask Polly column. If you just do a search on Ask Polly, you'll find it. Um, Great advice column with lots of wit. (laughs) (laughs) I've been writing it for eight years. So there there are a lot of them out there to read. Um, And then I also have a a newsletter on Substack. It's substack.com forward slash ask Molly and substack.com forward slash ask Polly just to make it incredibly uh, (laughs) confusing. I'm very bad at branding, obviously. (laughs) Um, And then I'm also on Twitter at. at H Haverleski, at H H A V R I L E S K Y. We'll have that uh, in the I, show notes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I spend a lot of time on on Twitter, sadly, because I just hang out there. That's and, where the writers uh, hang. Yeah, I love. Yeah. I love your. You're like one of the few people that I follow on Twitter. Oh, <laughs> I love your Twitter. Well, thank feed. you, yeah. thank I love you, your and I. I, I I feel like um, Laura. I just you're ju- you. I just want you to know you're an inspiration to me, and I love you so much. And it was just so nice to see your face and, mm. and talk to you at this moment. And I just want to do it constantly. <laughs> I wish I didn't have to Let's do it again. Maybe away. we'll have our own column. 
<laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Everybody will want to hear it. Well, thank you. And I love you. And thanks to all of you. As always, I'm pulling for you. Hugs from me to you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.